0: My name is Bob Martin, and I have the pleasure of being the lead pastor here at St. Paul, United Methodist Church in Largo, and I'm so glad that you're joining with us. Whether you are a, a frequent person or whether you're just checking in today, uh, from me to you, let me just tell you, I am so glad. I'm stoked that you're here and that you're worshiping with us. Well, today we're gonna talk a little bit about priorities as we continue our season, our series on Elijah. And, and priorities are something that, that all of us need to live into. Would you agree with that? So let me give us a working definition of what a priority is. So a priority is something or that which is most important than anything else. So a priority is the most important thing that you can do during the day or have a part of your life. I think most of us are uh, priority setters. We set priorities for the day. We, We get up in the morning and we set our priorities. We we decide where we're going to have breakfast maybe, or, or will I uh, scan the paper online, or will I read it personally? Or Then we go throughout our day, and we start planning out, you know, what time will my tea time be, and what's the priority for that? Or, or as we go into the evening, as we begin to think about um, how we will end our day. It's all about priorities. We set relational priorities, too. And, and for a lot of us, uh, relational priorities come into the pact of you know, how much time will I give my spouse or my loved one today? That's a priority, and it should be in our life. And we think about you know, what's the priority for our kids. If you have children, uh, how much time will you spend with them, helping them and encouraging them in their homework along the day and the activities that are there? Relationally, you know, um, will you make time to have friendships? And, and what is the priority of a friendship in your life? We also learn that, that priorities can focus on life strategies, um, I think every motivational speaker will tell you that we all should have goals and priorities in our lives. So, so we all should be establishing where do I want to be in three months? Where do I want to be in, in five years or 10 years down the line? And we should establish those priorities that will help us to make the decisions that are there. Well, let me just say did you know that priorities are important to God? In fact, uh, God is a number one priority person. In fact, God says that, that, that we are to love him with everything, and, and as we make God a priority in our life, we know that worship is a priority, and that's why you're tuning in today, or you're going to be tuning in a later time when we're not live. That's why we know God is a priority and prayer life is a priority, but God says that his relationship with us and our relationship with him is the most important priority. In fact, he said, as the first one of the Big Ten, he said, thou shall have no other gods, you shall have no other gods before me, that I am your number one priority. Jesus was asked the question, Lord, of all the priorities of life, of all the things that we could be involved in, what's the number one priority that, that there is for us? And Jesus said what? He said, love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Make God the priority. Well, you know, if, if Satan wanted to, to hurt God's heart, you know what Satan would do? Satan would corrupt you and me, and he would move us into a direction where God is no longer our priority, but everything else is. If Satan wanted to hurt the heart of God, he would move God's children, you and me, away from the heart of God, and he would bring other gods before us, things that we would want to chase, things that we would want to make a priority, and that's what hurts the heart of God. So here's a key thought that I want to begin us with today, and that is that that false gods promise what only the one true God can deliver. False gods can promise. And that being said, anything that is not about the one true God is idolatry. So we're going to learn about idolatry. We're going to learn about uh, priorities. We're going to learn that, that, that the things of life promise us that they can deliver the goods better, but we know that the things that we treasure in life and the things that make life the way it is come truly from God. Well, money is probably one of the biggest false gods that many of us fall prey to. Uh, many, many times we, we learn that it's, it's chasing after the things of the world and, and money, for instance, that, that causes us to do that. Money has a promise. Money says that if you have enough of me, I will make sure that you are safe and I'll make sure that you're secure. I mean, how many of us work hard and we, we save as much as we can because we want to make sure that, that we have enough? And money convinces us that, that safety comes from that. But let's say that you are doing that, that you are making sure that, that money is your safety net, that money is your God, so to speak, and you're saving up and you're making sure you have enough to feel safe and secure. And let's say the doctor says to you in 30 days, you're gonna be dead of cancer. I mean, think about that for a second, the priorities that we set in our lives. In the life of Elijah, Elijah was was living amongst a group of people that they saw many false gods, and they were living idolatrous lives, and God calls Elijah into a plan to go and to proclaim the words to bring freedom to God's people to not follow false gods. So if you weren't here last week, let me recap real quickly where we were. So we, we set up the story, and we said that, that Ahab was now the king. So over a 200-year period in the northern kingdom of Israel, they had 19 evil kings. Ahab is the current one. And the scriptures say that Ahab was the worst. In fact, they say that, that he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any other king prior to him. So Ahab is one bad dude, and we, we learn um, today, and we'll learn uh, again in a couple of weeks, that, that he marries Jezebel as a queen, and she, through that marriage, convinces Ahab, and Ahab convinces the people to move away from worshiping the one true God and worshiping the false gods of Baal and Asherah. So we see this great sense that's coming here. What does God do? God raises up Elijah. And we learned last week that God says, Elijah, I'm going to have you come and make a proclamation before the king. And Elijah looks at Ahab and he says, from this day forward until the Lord says otherwise, there will be no dew and there'll be no rain. And we learned that it crashed the economy. We learned that it sent people into unemployment, that there were thousands, thousands of deaths, and people were struggling because of the evil that was happening under King Ahab. Well, God sends Elijah to the Carith ravine, and we learned last week that, that there is where he molds him. He brings him into obedience. He brings him into total trust, and he allows Elijah to catch this window to see the truth that God is the one true God. And the story opens up for us today that God has now moved Elijah out of that safety net and he brings him before evil king Ahab. And I'm going to pick up the story in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, verse 17. So I'm going to be working in and out of chapter 18 today. So when Ahab went to meet Elijah, so now Elijah is seen, Ahab sees him. Ahab goes out to meet where he is. It says that he said to Elijah, is that you, O troubler of Israel? Well, one of the ways that we can interpret the word troubler in Hebrew uh, in this text is snake or serpent or asp. So so Ahab is basically saying, Elijah, you're a snake. You have brought this uh, bad stuff upon the people. You've brought the plagues. You've brought the droughts. You're, You're killing people. You're causing the unemployment. You see, Ahab adopted a leadership technique that many of our leaders use today. It's what I call the blame and shame. Cast it off on somebody else. Don't take the responsibility as the leader. And that's what Ahab was doing here. But Elijah does something different. And this is what we need to do today. Elijah stands up to the king and he says these words. He says, I am not the one who has made trouble for Israel, but you have king. You and your fathers and your fathers' family have you've abandoned the Lord's commands and you've followed the baals you have followed the false gods you have taught the people to take their eye off the one true God and to follow the false gods that exist in the world and that's why this is brought upon you So Elijah stands up to the king and he says, you king are committing the sin of idolatry. And not only just you, but you're leading your people to do this. And what a travesty that this is. I mean, think about the ramifications. So Elijah is confronting God's people in the midst of this very difficult time. He's confronting God's people in the middle of what we'll call a a theological battle. They teach you a couple of terms in in seminary, and maybe we learn them out of seminary. It's called monotheism and polytheism. So theism or theos is, is the Greek word of God, mono one, poly multiple. So what we see is Elijah is in a culture of polytheism. He's in a culture where people are worshiping many gods. And Elijah is saying, we are a a faith, a people of monotheism, of one true God. So so Elijah is is in this moment where he is seeing people chase after all of these multiple gods. You see, as Christians, we're taught to be monotheistic. We're taught to worship and serve and love the one God. Lord, the one true God, but yet we live in a polytheistic world. We say we worship one true God, or that we believe and we know and love one true God, but we find ourselves, if we're not careful, worshiping polytheism. We find ourselves saying there's one God, but we worship multiple gods. And this is the same as what Elijah is is, is dealing with today. You know, back then, as with today, one of those false gods is is materialism. And, and we struggle with materialism today, don't we? Many of us struggle with materialism. And, and God says that materialism uh, can't be above me, money can't be above me, your children can't even be above me. And some will say, how, how can we not love our children? I'm not saying that. But we cannot love our children more than we love God. And God says that, that, that our focus, everything, is to put God first. And anything we put above God is we put on the throne and we put above God. So that is what's called idolatry, things that we put above God and that we idolize and worship. When I, when I look back on my life, there's a couple of examples um, where I know that, that I was worshiping a false god. When I uh, was asked to plant a church in 1999 in, in Sanford, uh, Florida, on the East Coast, um, I gave my life to that. I mean, every waking moment was, was stirred in, in the church, in the work of the church, and doing the stuff of the church, and, and busy, busy, busy with the church. And, and there were times when my personal relationships um, got strained because of that, because the church had become my God, the work of the church. You might say, Bob, is that bad? It is bad, because I was worshiping the church. And then there was another time before I had a call to ministry when, when Patty and I went through what we called a life of affluenza, not influenza, but affluenza, affluency, where, where we decided that, that the things of the world would be our God, and we, we had the big houses, the nice cars, the, all the toys, the things that sometimes we cherish, and we just lost sight of what our true God was. And obviously, we've repented from that, and through the years, we've come and back and understood that God is number one in our life. So why am I telling you these skeletons in my closet today? Because I want you to be real with me as well. I want you to be real to yourself. I want you to take a moment and think about the false gods that you have worshiped in your life. I know you have. There's none amongst us who can say, I've never had a false god. We all have, because it's called sin. And, and I want you to claim that. I want you to name it, and I want you to claim it. Because, but then if you're still struggling with it, I want you to see the words of Elijah today to be the freedom to get you through it. I want you to move forward in a positive way to get rid of that. You see, we may be monotheistic in our beliefs, but we are polytheistic in our actions, Elijah steps into this culture, and he says, basically, people, you need to stop wavering. You need to stop moving between this God and this God and this God and this God. You need to stop playing the God game and worshiping whatever feels good and is good at that particular time. And he says that, that, that here I'm going to make something happen. We're going to have a good old showdown. He says we're going to have a duel like Hamilton and, and Burr. We're, gonna, we're just going to make this happen and something big comes. Let me pick up the story in verse 19. He says to King Ahab, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel, and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. You can imagine, there's, this is a ton, this is almost 1,000 prophets of these false gods. Elijah says, bring all of them. So Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel, and he assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And then Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long, people, will you waver between serving and worshiping and loving the one true God and and the flavor of the month, so to speak? And he says, if the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is your God, then you need to follow Baal. So Elijah is basically saying, put your heart, put your money, put everything, we put your mouth to it. Whatever is at the core of who you are, you need to decide. But you can't keep wavering. You can't be wishy-washy. You can't say I'm this, no, I'm that. Oh, I like this and all that. No, you have to make a stand. You're either going to worship the one true God or you're going to worship false gods. And Elijah puts it to him. He says, quit wavering. He says, pick a side. And, and so let, let me kind of put this in context of, of today. So, so if Elijah was standing before us today, this is probably something that he would say. He would look at us and he would say, if you're gonna make uh, whatever is in your life your God, so whatever it is that you wanna pursue and make that your God, then sell out to it. Do whatever you can to make that your God. If material possessions are your God, Elijah would say, then just go into debt and accumulate everything you possibly can. Uh, Steal if you have to, because it doesn't matter because accumulation is your God and you wanna pursue that. He says, you know, go and and do everything that you possibly can uh, and accumulate all those things. And he said, because you are worshiping the God of accumulation and the God of stuff, he says, then remove generosity from your heart. Don't be a generous person. Take it off your playlist because generosity is countercultural to materialism because you've made your God the God of materialism and the God of accumulation. He says if, if sexual pleasure is your God, then don't let something as insignificant as marriage stand in your way. He would say that if if there's uh, boredom in your bedroom, then step outside of the marital covenant because it's okay because sexual pleasure is your God, right? Just go and track it, worship that, and step out of that and have have relations with whomever you want, it doesn't matter. Who am I gonna judge you, Elijah would say, but you have to pick who and what is your God. And you can't just make those wishy-washy choices, but he said today you have to take a stand. Is it the one true God? Or is it the God of the world? Is it the God that the world has to be? He would say, is it your house? Is your house your God? Then sell out and go into debt and do all the renovations possible, make it bigger. Go sell out and buy a bigger house or whatever. But he looks at the crowd and he says, but if God is your true God, and he would look at you and me today, and he would say, but if Jesus is your Christ, then you need to dump everything else and you need to follow him. If Jesus is your one true God, then that's where your heart needs to be. Folks, that's the message Elijah would say today. It's a hard message. It's a difficult message. It's a gut-wrenching message, but it's the message, and it's the message we need to hear. So what does Elijah do? He says, quit wavering. And what does he do? Well, Well, he calls for two bowls. He calls for a couple of altars. He calls for the priests of Baal to gather, and he says, we're gonna offer a sacrifice, but we're gonna do it in a unique way. So that's where we're gonna pick up the story. Uh, then he says, you call on the name of your God, call on Baal, call on Asherah, call on your house, call on your money, call on your car, whatever your God is. You call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, he says. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bowls and prepare it first. So, so he wants them to know there's no strings attached here. I'm even going to give you first First licks out of picking the bowl that you want. Make sure you get the right one for you, and I'll use the leftover one. But he says, Since there are so many of you, just, just go ahead and do that. And then all in the name of your God, it says, But do not light the fire. So call upon your God, but don't light the fire yet, because there's something still yet to happen. So the, the priests of Baal and Asherah took their bowl that was that was given, and they prepared it and they put it there. And the people gathered around are thinking, Elijah, you idiot. Baal is the sun god. What comes out of the sun? Fire. This is going to like wipe you out and, and you're going to look like a fool. You're an idiot. Why would you challenge fire to the god of, of, of the sun fire? And, and Elijah just looks at him. says, then they called upon the name of Baal. So the priests now, they have their altar made. They have their sacrifice made. It says, they call on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Listen to what they say. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar. It's not the right dance, but, you know, they danced around the altar. And, and at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. So they've been calling upon Baal and Asherah to answer with fire. And there's been, like, crickets, nothing. Now, Elijah starts talking some smack here, okay? And he's, he's, he's getting the best of him. He starts talking some smack. He says, shout louder. You're not shouting loud enough. And he says, dance harder. Surely, surely your God is the God, he says. Perhaps he's deep in thought or, or he's busy or he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and you need to wake him up. But you know what? When you really look closely at this verse in Hebrew, when he says, is your God busy that translates, one of the direct translations in Hebrew is, is he going to the bathroom? So Elijah's taunting them. He's, he, it really makes the story richer, doesn't it? Because now you know that he's like laughing at them. And he's saying, you know, it, can your God not answer because he's too busy reading the paper? Can he not answer because he's doing his business? And Elijah continues to taunt them let's continue. They shouted louder, the the priests of Baal. They slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom. And blood began to flow. And midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. And then Elijah said to all the people, come to me, And they came to him, and and he repaired the altar of the Lord because it had been destroyed and devastated because they no longer worship the one true God. They offered sacrifices to the false gods. And so he rebuilds the altar, and he he takes 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of the descendants of the tribes of of Jacob. And, and, And then he begins saying that these are the people whom are claimed by the one called Israel, Jacob's name. And with the stones, he builds an altar in the name of the Lord, the scripture says. And then he digs a trench around it large enough to hold a bunch of seeds. So so it's like this deep, wide trench, almost like a moat would be an example of that. And he arranged the wood and he cuts the bowl into pieces and he begins to stack wood that's there. And then he says to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and pour it on the wood. So folks, what happens when you pour water on wood? It doesn't ignite, it's not combustible, is it? And then he says, do it again. And he said, do it again a third time. And he ordered it and they did it a third time. And the water ran down the altar and it filled the trench around it. And they shouted all day long. And the sad part is you and I, we don't dance all day long, but we serve false gods all day long. Not just all day, but all year long. And Elijah calls us in and he says, stop chasing false gods that can't deliver. And that's his message to you and me. Verse 36 and 7. At the time of the sacrifice, Elijah stepped forward and he does what? He prays. He's not slashing himself. He's not doing, you know, this jiggy dance and all that kind of stuff. He, he prays. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known today that you are the God in Israel and that I, your servant, have done all these things at your command, he prays. Do you hear the humility in his words? Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, O Lord, O God, that you are turning their hearts back to them. You see, God's people had turned their hearts from God, They had run from God. They no longer prayed. They no longer loved God. They chased the things of the world, the shiny things that get our attention so often, and Elijah is calling them back, calling them back. And he's calling you back, and he's calling me back. You see, my heart aches as I think about this because I know so many of us, we've run away from God. We're chasing the wrong thing. We're we're engaging in what the world is promising, but only what God can deliver, whatever that is. The medical cure, the politician running for president, the local person, whatever it is, we're chasing the wrong things. And God says, I am the one true God. So watch what happens in verse 38 and 39. The fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice. It burned up the wood, it burned up the stones, it burned up the soil, and it licked up all the water that was around the moat. All of that was just burned up, and when the people saw this, they fell prostrate, and they cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And that's that's Elijah's message to us today. Stop chasing the false gods. Stop chasing that which promises to deliver what only the one true God can deliver. Some will read this story and say, well, pastor, of course. Of course the people believe. God sent a big fireball from heaven and it was the world's biggest barbecue. Yeah, they're gonna believe, but listen to me. He sent Jesus. God came into the world in the flesh of Jesus Christ, right? He walked the world, we saw the truth, we saw God in the flesh. He was righteous, he was non-sinning. He didn't sin, he was sinless. He went to the cross and bore your sins and mine. He gave his life for you and for me. That's where the one true God delivers. So listen, today, stop chasing false idols. Stop chasing the career, the paycheck, the house, the car, the love of your life, your children, whatever it is, stop chasing it. Give your life to the one true God and allow God to deliver you in all things.